Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pashas Kiseitze. Pashas Kiseitze has a distinction of having the most mitzvos of any parsha in the Torah. According to the Chinuch, there are 74. I'd like to focus on one that at first glance is not relevant to most individuals, but upon deeper reflection and examination is truly most pertinent. The Torah teaches at the uh, towards hmm, the beginning of the parsha in Perek Chaf Beis Pasuk Yud 22:10, Lo Sacharosh B'Shor V'Chamor Yachdov. You are not to plow with an axe and a donkey. Rashi, quoting the Sifri, provides the background of this Pasuk and tells us that it includes coupling together of any two different species, one kosher and the other not, and for any kind of work, not just harisha, which is plowing. Now, the Torah does not provide a reason for this prohibition. The Sefer Achinuch, who counts this as Mitzvah 550, gives two reasons. Firstly, he brings his Rebbe the Rambam, who, by the way, he never saw. He lived a few hundred years after the Rambam, but he follows the Rambam's count as to what is and what is not part of the 613. The Rambam sees this prohibition of not having a ox and a donkey plowed together. This stems from the prohibition found in the book of Vayikra, in chapter 19, Pasuk 19, the prohibition of mating one animal with another species, and therefore the Rambam is concerned having these animals work together in close proximity could lead to their mating. Now, interesting, the Ibn Ezra notes that working the ox and the donkey together would be a violation of Tsar Bale Chaim, inflicting pain to the animal. The donkey, who is the weaker of the two, cannot pull the load as well as the stronger ox, and therefore it's going to be hard for the donkey physically. Now, in addition, the Tasakin and Mibali Tosfo suggest that the Torah is concerned about the feelings and sensitivities of the donkey. After all, both animals will be given their appropriate portions of food. The ox, however, being a kosher animal and chooses cud, when the donkey hears the additional activity happening in the ox's stomach, the donkey will believe that the ox has been given more food and will be psychologically distressed. Amazing. The Sefer Achinuch therefore maintains that as a logical extension of this mitzvah is included the prohibition of being insensitive to the feelings of the next individual. And he offers the following example. 
If a welcoming committee is being organized, let's say for a Beis HaKnesses, then do not intentionally pair together two individuals of different nature, such as an extrovert who finds greeting people most easy and comfortable, and an introvert who has great difficulty, because the introvert is going to feel deficient and incapable in this endeavor. So to the Chinuch, this mitzvah is not to be considered among those that Hashem gave to the Jewish people, such as the prohibition of blood, as found a few weeks ago in Dvarim, chapter 12, plus 23. And look at the Rashi there, to provide the Jew with many mitzvahs that he fulfills daily, such as not drinking blood, to provide us with greater merit. No, this mitzvah, says the Chinuch, is most relevant to all and at all times. Now, it's exciting to note that sensitivity to others is built in or serves as the reason for many mitzvot and practices. To begin with, we find in this parsha the Torah legislates the laws of shikha, meaning that if a farmer forgets a sheaf of grain or forgotten fruit of trees, they are to leave it in the field for the poor and not go back and retrieve them. This law accompanies that of leket, which is the gleanings that fall during the harvest, one or two ears, and peah, which is the edge of the field that must be left unharvested for the poor. The common denominator to these agricultural mitzvos is that the Torah is teaching that these parts of the field are not yours. They belong to the poor. However, rather than the poor coming and knocking on your door and you handing them the grain, here they work for it themselves. And this affords them dignity. This affords them the wonderful feeling of satisfaction of enjoying the fruits of their labor. This is incredible sensitivity for the poor. A second example is the law coming from Shmos, chapter 22, Pasuk 24. When a Jew lends money to another Jew, he may not act towards him, says the Torah, as a creditor. What does that mean? It's clear that the borrower owes, yet the Torah is saying not to act aggressively to get your money. The Talmud Bar Metziah 75b understands this verse to mean that if Shabbos is a nice day and the lender would like to take a walk, the halacha says he can do so on any street in the neighborhood except that of the borrower. The reason for this is the borrower is going to be sitting outside on this nice Shabbos and he's going to see the lender walking by. And he's going to say, Aha, the reason the lender is passing by his house is to remind him of the loan and my obligation to pay him back. And he, the lender, would thus violate not to act towards him as an oppressor. I want you to feel so proud 
for being a Jew that we have laws of such incredible sensitivity. A third example of sensitivity is found in the Shulchan Aruch or Rechaim 124, which is the laws of the Chazor Sashats, the repetition of the Shemona Esrei. We are taught that Anshei Knesses HaGedola, the men of the Great Assembly, enacted that after the Tzibor, the congregation, completes their private recitation of the Shemona Esrei, the Chazan is to repeat the entire prayer, 19 blessings. The reason for this, as explained at the end of the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, is to recite the bracha, or the, the Chazor Hashats, on behalf of the unlearned individuals who don't know how to formulate the Amidah, and therefore they now fulfill their obligation by listening to the tefillah, to the prayer of the Chazan. Now I'd like to ask a basic question. Why do we repeat the Shemona Esrei at all times? Why not look around the shul or make an announcement? Is there anyone here who's in need of the repetition? Please raise your hand. But we don't do this. We do recite 19 blessings. Why? Lest somebody will be embarrassed and publicly humiliated. We demonstrate sensitivity by reciting the repetition of the Shmona Esrei. Another example found from Tanakh. We're taught in the first chapter in the first book of Shmuel, the Torah that's read on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, please God, that Penina, Chana's co-wife, angered her repeatedly. Now what does that mean? Rabbi Levi in the Gemara Baba Basra 16a teaches that Penina's motives were pure and sincere. Chana had no children. Penina had many. And what would Penina do? She would constantly speak of her children in Chana's presence, which was extremely insensitive. I'm taking my children for shoes. I'm taking my children to the pediatrician. Despite the purity of her motives, which was to encourage Chana to pray for children, we're taught that Penina was punished for her insensitivity. This is a most pertinent lesson, how careful we are to speak of our families in front of others who might not be as equally blessed. As mentioned above, the essence of this mitzvah is applicable at all times, all circumstances, especially now that school has begun in a school setting where there are stronger or weaker students, how a teacher will answer a student and certainly, God forbid, never embarrass or humiliate. Another example is that of the mitzvah of tzedakah. The Rambam in Hilchos Matanos Aniyim, in his last chapter, chapter 10, Halacha 7, lists eight levels of fulfilling the mitzvah of tzedakah. The highest level is that of Echazaktobo, as found in Vayikra, 2535, which means literally to take hold of the needy individual, give him a job, give him a dependence and dignity. To remove him from the category of being a taker, 
to the potential of becoming a giver. Note, however, that each level above the next is affording greater sensitivity to the needy recipient. It's not only the giving, but how the giving is done. If it's accompanied by words of encouragement and endearment, the same act of charity explains the Gemara in Bava Basra 9b becomes significantly upgraded. Note, my friends, that our practice of having a Baal Kore, that when someone is called up for an Aliyah, especially in the Ashkenazic community, even though they're capable themselves of reading from the Torah, they don't. We have a reader about Kore for all, not to embarrass the one who doesn't know how to read from the Torah. Again, great sensitivity. I'd like to note how very relevant this mitzvah is, especially now as we rapidly approach Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah 16a teaches that our reciting on Rosh Hashanah verses of Malchios, kingship, is in order for us to accept His sovereignty upon ourselves. Now the Sifri in Parshas Vezos Bracha, on the verse in chapter 33, verse 5, in Melech, the king in Israel, when Bisasef Roshayam, when we are united, Yachad, Shivtei Yisrael, when we're united as a people, the more glorified Hashem is the more he has established this king and commensurate with the unification of his subjects in their acceptance and allegiance to him, the more we are together, the greater the extent of his kingship. Thus, the prerequisite for coronating Hashem on Rosh Hashanah one of the primary reasons for blowing the shofar is to assure him that we are all united as a people. The Rambam in the second chapter of Hilchos Shofar says, Why a shofar? Beautifully, he says, Shapru ma'asechem. Improve your actions. Be sensitive one for another. And thus, it behooves us to implement as found in Vayikra, chapter 19, plus 18, and not to plow with the ox and donkey, which now you know what that means. We are to show greater sensitivity to one another, thereby assuring for us a warmer reception from Avinu, Malkinu, our father, our king. A tall order but we can do it. There's not that much time left for Rosh Hashanah. What's your homework? Be extra sensitive to the next one's feelings. After all, the Torah says, don't plow with an ox and donkey together. Shabbat Shalom to all.